Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 104. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we are going to go through a litany of things, starting with a state of the industry update. Absolutely. So Podcast 104 is actually going to be Gumpcast in no particular order. Jen A., let's talk about these things. Um, state of the industry, guys, nothing's changed. Uh, we've been gone for a little bit over a week, week and a half, something like that, uh, on our holiday break. Um, if you came to the door and left your nose print on it trying to get in, we apologize. Uh, but it was a, a, a needed break, and I would opine a deserved break. Some of you may not feel the same way that know me and have had to deal with me. But either way, um, state of the industry, nothing's really changed. Uh, guns are still really tough to get. Uh, there are a couple manufacturers um, who, who have really pressed uh, production, like Glock. Uh, Glock has ramped things up dramatically over the last six months. Uh, they also finished out, to my understanding, a large contract. So Glocks have been a little more available than previously, but they are moving fast. Um, some AR manufacturers, some of the some of the guys that do custom-ish stuff, um, have kind of ramped up production. We're seeing guns more available from higher-end companies. Um, and when I say higher-end, I mean higher-end, low-production companies like Wilson Combat and some places like that uh, are doing some guns that are actually really good values. They're a little more expensive than your Daniels and your Bravos. Um, but, but comparable, maybe a little cleaner, a little better done, maybe not. I think there's a debate there, yeah, but a lot for a, of upgraded internals, things yes. like triggers, charging handles. Yeah. Some super clean stuff. Some definitely cleaned up stuff, not, not production guns, uh, as you would expect from Wilson combat. Um, and, and bear in mind that premium with Wilson combat that you're paying is often as well service. Um, if you ever need to send anything back to Wilson combat, uh, unless there's uh, like an earth-shattering reason, they generally have turnaround times for any kind of warranty issues or anything like that, or in the days, not weeks. Uh, I know guys have gotten stuff back from Wilson Combat in the same week that they sent it. Um, so you know, so be aware of that. Um, but in general, ammo still sucks. Uh, we're seeing probably less ammo moving right now. Um, got some things on the horizon that we're looking at that hopefully we can alleviate that to some extent in common calibers, but that remains to be seen. Uh, still some, those are still ghosts in the mist at the moment. Um, but maybe seeing some, some industry changes where some small guys are trying to pick up the slack and maybe finally have a chance to do that. Um, both around producing lower receivers, around producing ammo, around producing some things that everybody really wants to see. So maybe we'll get lucky in the first quarter of this year or the second quarter of this year that we'll be, there'll be a little bit of relief in availability, if not in price. Um, so, you know, just kind of want to catch everybody up on that. Uh, sorry, that's not necessarily good news uh, because I because all of that right now is, is very, very tentative and hopeful. Um, but as we look at the news this morning on January 6th, uh, you know, we see possibly one more Senate seat gone, uh, maybe a second Senate seat gone in Georgia and, and basically a 50-50 split in the Senate. Um, so politically, that'll make things interesting. Um, Ms. Harris... We'll have the deciding vote, which scares me a little bit. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, state of the industry. There you are. It chases politics. So we weren't getting political on you. They're just tied together. So um, as long as the left, if the left holds, um, you know, it holds the Congress and holds the White House, it'll be a, an interesting next two years at least, maybe four. So um, guys, want to talk about some some kind of recent things I mentioned. It's going to be kind of be a gump cast. Um, had the opportunity to do a little bit of traveling uh, for the first time in a while uh, with the fam over the holidays uh, during our shutdown. Um, Want to cover a few different things that you know were at the top of my mind, moving through different states, reviewing legalities around concealed carry and possession of firearms uh, in those different states. Um, we we drove from Ohio um, down to North Carolina, um, 
Pisgah National Forest, Asheville, Black Mountain area. Um, if you're looking at going on a vacation where you do a lot of foot movement up and down hills and see some amazing stuff, can't recommend the area enough. Um, and plus there's an Oscar Blues Brewery in Brevard, um, which is worth the stop too. So, cause I'm all about the beer. Um, let's face it. Um, some things to think about those we went on vacation, uh, took the fam with us, you know, uh, have a new vehicle or newer vehicle. So going through and doing maintenance wasn't a super big deal, but I did uh, manage to push the truck in and have, uh, it's regular checkup, you know, 5,000 mile stuff done before I left. Um, but other than that, wasn't thinking a whole lot about vehicle maintenance, um, because I have a new vehicle, but if you're traveling, think about those things. Um, one of the things we ran into traveling down there, um, ran into a lot of ice, um, in, in different places, especially on some sides of some mountains where if you screwed up, it could be terminal. Um, so understanding, you know, what kind of shape are your tires in, um, it, do you have the right tires? Do you have the right tires, period? And then what kind of shape are your tires in? Um, the, the, during this trip, the, it was bad enough that almost all of the Blue Ridge Parkway was closed uh, when we got to North Carolina, Tennessee and North Carolina. I mean, like for hundreds of miles, it was closed due to ice. They don't salt or plow the Blue Ridge Parkway because most of it's in the park and they don't want the salt on the roads, etc. And plowing doesn't really do any good if it's ice anyway. So uh, just some things to think about. Uh, awareness as you're driving. Road conditions changed rapidly. When we went from Ohio to Kentucky, things went downhill south, um, went downhill fast, fast. Um, going across into Kentucky, um, once we got moving on the roads, uh, ice, still had some ice patches, some big ice patches and snow patches, because Kentucky's simply not set up to handle the snow like we are, but they got quite a bit more than we did. Um, so anyway, uh, some other things that popped up, uh, went on a trip into Asheville, North Carolina, into the Arts District. Um, Asheville and Austin could almost be the same city, except Austin's a hell of a lot bigger, uh, and a little bit warmer. Um. Lots of issues with homeless people. We didn't have any issues personally, but I uh, got to see some interface uh, between, I would say, local gentry and some homeless folks um, that didn't quite end up in fisticuffs, uh, but had some people get a little too close to the native homeless feral folks um, and, and watched a couple, couple homeless folks get a little bit shitty with some well-heeled Asheville-ites or probably from some other town visiting like us. Um, you know, be, be aware of that, guys. We tend to kind of see homeless people as something that's just in the background. Um, that's, you know, part of the terrain, I guess. Uh, a lot of folks look right through them or look right past them. Um, the, the reality check is, you know, some people are homeless not by their own doing. Some people are homeless because they have mental health issues, um, drug, alcohol addiction, things of that nature. Um, and, and in general, um, probably aren't looking for a whole lot of your help. Uh, they'd like to be left alone. You know, there are people out there who, I, I won't say it's by choice, but there are things that allow them to not be homeless that they choose to press on through because it's just an easier lifestyle or, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I saw some some do-gooders uh, pushing some things. And, and I, I would tell you, you know, unless you know somebody, I, I, would, I would keep some distance there. We didn't have any problems, but watch, like I said, watch some other people who tried to interface with some of these folks. Uh, and it, it, it just... It was, it was a very, there are a couple of very tense conversations. So be aware of that. Um, you know, I, I didn't see any actual violence, fisticuffs or hands-on, uh, but I saw some things that maybe were some 
basically snarls getting snapped at to warn, hey, stay away from me. I don't, I don't need your help, want your help, whatever. Uh, but that would be a situational awareness conversation. Um, if, if it pisses somebody off that you switch sides of the street when you're walking on a sidewalk because it's really narrow and there's a homeless dude going through trash cans, if that offends that person, you're a lot further away. Uh, if they want to decide to do something to you, now they've got to cross two lanes of road and everything else to get to you. So situational awareness, someplace like that. Um, again, gump cast, changing topics. Next uh, year. Actually, going yeah. back to, to traveling and situational awareness and stuff, You know, if somebody is switched on, you yep. know, they're going to notice you got out-of-state plates that yep. you're wearing. Your gear and symbols and whatnot that may... Um, define you as being from somewhere other than where you are. Yeah, so you're out of your comfort zone, um, right? Literally. And they know you, you generally probably don't know the area as intimately as they do. Yeah. And they definitely have an advantage when it comes to, to intimate knowledge of the terrain. Yeah. Um, if they're trying to funnel you into you know their allies or box you in or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so just be, you know, be extra vigilant while you are traveling. Um, doing things like leaving your Ohio State Buckeyes sweatshirt at home. Yep. And wearing something a little bit more nondescript is probably to your advantage. Yeah, if you were, if you're in, if you're in Asheville, North Carolina, or Black Mountain, or any place like that, um, it, any garment that would say something like Patagonia, Arcteryx, Filson, Woolrich, North Face, North Face um, at Mountain Hardware, etc., ad nauseum, you would fit right in. A um, lot, lot of folks down there with outdoor pursuits, and and they wear it on their sleeve all the time. Um, doesn't matter, you know, if you just left your law office for the end of the day to go have a beer at one of the bars locally, um, you're probably all kitted up looking like you're ready to climb Kilimanjaro or something like that. That's the thing, um, down there. So, you know, we were, because we were down there to go hiking and spend some time in the woods, we were, we were dressed a lot more like natives than not. Um, until you get into the arts district of Asheville, and then native looks really different from (laughs) most of the world. So I'll just leave that lie. Um, anyway, but yeah, good, good point. You know, you don't know the terrain like they do. Um, something else too, along that, the vehicle aspect of it, stopping to get gas. Um, we, we chose to stop to get gas. We had to a couple different times, uh, coming and going, etc. I don't like to get below half a tank. Um, and I have the bladder of an eight year old girl because I'm getting old, I guess, apparently. Um, so anyway, so we stopped, you know, probably more often than we needed to, to get gas, to stay ahead of things. Um, th- there's some sketch ass gas stations between here and North Carolina, um, a- along the route that we took. Um, b- you know, be aware of that, plan those stops, you know, don't stop in places that aren't lighted, etc. Um, the one, one of the places we did stop, um, probably Virginia ish, somewhere along that line. Um, maybe Northern Tennessee, uh, we stopped to get gas and, and had a homeless guy. As soon as we pulled in the parking lot, he's coming from across the parking lot. And from a distance, from 30 yards or so, he got the, no thank you, the hand up, not interested, can't help you, quietly, didn't raise a stink or anything like that. And, and, he, and, and the guy just turned around and went the other way, no big deal, never even got close. But managing those contacts... Um, you know, again, we're back to some of the training things that we've done. Tactical response, you know, does, you know, has a whole big mindset lecture and briefing about dealing with people under fighting pistol. Uh, Craig Douglas, South Narc, Shiv Works, uh, does managing unknown contacts as part of ECQC. And I think one of their other classes as yeah. well, um, it's integrated in there a whole lot. Uh, Greg Elifritz, I think does some of that too, with active response training yep. and some of his classes does a whole lot of managing those contacts before it becomes a an actual interaction verbally, much less physically. Uh, but just be aware of that. This guy had a beat on us. I don't know if it's out-of-state plates. 
new vehicle or what it was, but he was coming right for us from a perspective. And I, and I think the guy was not doing anything more than looking for handouts. Um, but I've got the family with me. You're not getting any closer than I need you to be. And so we managed that one a little bit early. So again, I don't think anyone was in any kind of danger in any of these situations for us, but just understanding that those things change quickly. So be aware of your surroundings. Um, along with that, you know, we, we harp on you guys a lot about PT. Uh, we harp on me a lot about PT because I am the proverbial pot calling the kettle black. Um, you know, at a, at a svelte 240 pounds and with the cardio capacity of an aardvark who's at way too high altitude. I don't know. Something, I know there's, I don't have a lot of cardio capacity. I'll admit you it. You do when it comes to moving heavy things. Yeah, like me. I can move some heavy things. Uh, but anyway, PT, uh, went out to the mountains. Had a number of situations where we gained, um, you know, 500 plus feet of elevation and a mile or two on some of the shorter hikes going different places. Um, also covered some distance over some longer trails and, and there were, there were a few, more than a few days that were, um, thousand plus foot elevation days starting out at 2,500 feet or higher. Um, you know, and a couple different trips up around 5,000 feet elevation. Again, everything was iced over. None of this was fast because there was a boatload of ice everywhere. Uh, the storm that hit us the week before we left really hit them a lot harder. Um, having said that, it was nice to be able to know that in a, you know you could put in a half mile and 500 feet of elevation. I won't say without breaking a sweat, but you could hammer through it as no big deal at all. Um, I, I had some close to injury issues, some discomfort issues about a month before I left for this trip. So I backed off of a lot of heavy weight stuff and went to doing a lot of lightweight step ups, a lot of holding a 35 pound kettlebell. Um, or not holding any weight at all and doing 200 to 500 step-ups a couple times a week um, and doing a little bit of, of short walks and stuff like that to kind of change gears for this trip. And it really paid dividends just to do 30 days worth of adaptive PT to the environment we knew we were heading into. Uh, worked out really, really well. Um, you can make big changes in your ability to do things in a very short period of time with just a little bit of work. Be aware of that. It yeah. doesn't have to be, you know, these crushers. So, um one more in the gump cast. One more thing from the trip: um, failures in gear. Um, maintain your crap. My gear behaved very, very well. I treat my gear like shit, so it was pissed at me part of the time. Uh, a couple of the trips that we went out on, uh, we went on hikes that were less than three miles. Um, some of those were though the ones that had a thousand foot of elevation gain or elevation change down and out and then back up. Um, we got rained on really freaking hard a couple of times. As a family, we've always said. Um, you see things in crappy weather that you will not see in good weather, so suck it up, put on your raincoat, we're going for a hike anyway. Um, we, we generally don't let bad weather slow us down, but we live in Ohio, so it's easy to say that because it doesn't typically get real bad here. And you're typically not in the mountains. Here. And it's typically not dangerous to go out in bad weather. Uh, we went on a couple of hikes where we got dumped on. Uh, I have rain gear from Outdoor Research that has been phenomenal. Um, I, I, it, it has not been treated. It has not, and, and I ran into some soak through issues with it, which are probably more my fat butt sweating inside of it and filling it up. Um, also had a pair of Arc'teryx rain pants fail because I've been really rough on the knees on the range and gravel and stuff like that and have not gotten them fixed. Uh, so I ended up with boots with a lot of moisture in the boots underneath the rain pants, um, just because of leakage and stuff like that and not taking care of stuff. Curiously enough, everybody else in the family doesn't beat their crap up like I do, and everybody else's rain gear did really well. The wife's got a pair of Mountain Harbor rain pants that were stellar, um, and and so really good trip to flesh some of that stuff out in a little more serious environment, um, and under a little bit of physical duress, your heart was pumping walking up some of these hills because it was it's the mountains. It was cool. Yeah. So uh, 
while you're you know thinking about ammo being as exorbitant as it is, you may consider taking part of your ammo budget and investing it in good rain gear. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, sing the praises of companies like Outdoor Research, um, companies like Arcteryx. Uh, Arcteryx stuff, it just hurts me to look at their stuff from a price perspective because a jacket is a gun. Um, a pair of pants is a gun. Um, but their stuff has been really, really good. Again, as long as you take care of it. I knew that the rain pants that I had... They had been awesome until I tore up the knees of them a little bit, and, and now the knees soak through. And when you're walking into a 20-mile-an-hour wind in a driving rain on top of a mountain, um, you get pressure issues that force moisture through places that are no longer watertight, and we found those places. And you know what? Suck it up and press on. Um, yeah. That's why you wear wool long johns so you stay warm. Um, smart wool socks. Exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, so you know, like Brian's saying, if you know, if that's if you if you can't find ammo to buy. Um, you know, maybe it's time to reevaluate some of your gear and look at some other options uh, along those lines. The psionics night vision stuff. Um, if you're not looking to kick it indoors with night vision, if you want something to let you see what's going on in your backyard, or you're taking your dog out uh, in the middle of the night to take a leak on a cabin on the side of a mountain at a cabin in the middle of North Carolina in the dark, um, with the psionics was awesome to take a look around the woods and make sure there wasn't some pesky little black bear waiting to eat poor little Tucker. Um, yeah, Tucker's dumb enough. He probably would have tried to fight the thing, but anyway, um, yeah, might've won. Cause he's, like I said, not smart enough to lose. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, but the Sionics is pretty cool in that environment. Maybe you look at, you know, that entry level night vision kind of stuff, um, or investing in upgrading your flashlight game or something like that as well with some of that money. Um, if you can't find it for ammo, that those would be good expenditures of those dollars and things you can train with again, without making a bang and learn how to use them. So yeah. now, now might be the time to change that focus just a little bit too. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, that's uh, that's the gump part of the travels portion of our gump cast. Um, do we want to dive into peer groups and a little bit of that real quick and just gloss over some of those things? Sure. We got some time. All right. Um, one of the things that's come up a number of times and it's, it's come up through uh, some podcasts. Um, the podcast, who, who you said yeah. Matt Franco was on. Yeah, Matt Franco from X-Ray Alpha was recently on um, Scott Chidlinski's Modern Samurai Project. I believe it's number 44. Um, just came out earlier this week. Uh, I got a chance to listen to it. It is excellent. Um, one of our close friends, I um, actually got a shout out in that. A number of our other close friends have listened to it, and we've had some text conversations about different topics in the podcast. Um, highly recommend you go check it out. Um, Franca, uh, his resume is extensive. Um, he has been there and done that for multiple high-level, very high-level yeah. organizations. Um, and it's yeah, also really a good stuff. It's also a GM USPSA shooter. Yeah. He's also a grandmaster USPSA shooter, not, not just a go forth and stab people in the eyes kind of people, kind of guy. Um, he's got a lot of skills, I would say. Um, so one of the things that popped up in that podcast, um, your, your peer group, we, we've got a number of law enforcement guys that we train with, and they and they take accountability for the ability to use their tools very, very seriously. Um, and from my understanding from what you said, is one of the things Matt was not super impressed with the ability of a lot of the law enforcement officers in the class to make an A-zone hit on a target you know, on demand. Uh, whether it be from different positions or things of that nature. It's a vehicle class, right, that he was talking about? Yeah. Um, Frank had took a uh, class here, actually taught here kind of locally in Central Ohio, because I think he was in Central Ohio. 
uh, and noticed that many of the the other attendees you know, had difficulty making call it a zone hits at 10 to 15 yards with their service weapon. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, if you can't do that on demand, um, you should probably reprioritize what you're training to be able to achieve that first. Exactly. And that's where the peer group comes in. Um, if you go to an in training environment like that and, and you, and you, it's a, it's a solo lone wolf conversation. You're going to go do this by yourself, go take the training, come home and, and hopefully internalize it and practice and find you know, the nice thing about training is it not only can it make you a better shooter, but it can help you find out where you have deficiencies. It can help you find out where you're lacking. Hopefully you can get some pointers from the instructor to help you bring you up to speed while you're in the training. But if not, at least you walk away knowing that, hey, here's something I probably need to work on. Um, when, when you talk about being able to engage an A zone on a target of 10 to 15 yards, even under some duress and from, from jackass positions, it's something that really most people should be able to do. And I would say a professional end user really shouldn't be part of the equation wondering whether or not you can do it. Um, and I understand that, you know, police departments are very limited in training budgets and things of that nature. Dry um, fire is free. Dry fire is free. Amen. And dry fire from jacked up positions in the middle of PT is also free. Um, you know, so, Just so don't bear, do it at your global gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll freak them out a little bit. Um, so yeah, that, that's where you put in a, a, a plug for flow. Um, because I'm sure you could schedule time with Wolfie that involved, you know, dry fire and, and kettlebell swings and whatnot. But anyway, um, you know, so, so the accountability aspect of that is uh, the couple groups of people that we shoot with, um, these guys are, are, in some cases, professional trainers for their organizations. So when they go out and take a class, it's incumbent upon them to bring that information back to uh, their officers and, and, you know, make them better trainers and make their officers better shooters because they have more knowledge to share. Um, and some probably technique-based things from a communications perspective as well. Um, as, a, as a civilian, as a cake eater, you know, there's a conversation around too. If you've got a good peer group that's squared away, they expect competency. The group of people that we shoot with that are mostly civilian, um, if somebody's missing shots they shouldn't be missing, there's there's probably three or four dudes ragging on them pretty hard. And at some point, maybe throwing gravel at them. Um, those things happen too. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, you or know. they can help them find the solution to what's going on. Exactly, exactly. And then usually if we jack with somebody enough, that you know, we, with that person and somebody else or two other people walk aside and go, hey, let's go take a look and see what the hell's going on and fix this right now. Um, had an issue with that. There was a grip issue uh, coming into... I guess it would have been last spring, one of our guys had done a lot of rifle stuff, a lot of hunting, but hadn't shot the handgun well, was struggling. We literally shut down what we were doing for a few minutes and went through and did some diagnosis. So it went from three or four guys ragging on one of our guys to going, okay, we got to solve this shit right now because this is not you. So let's figure it out. Um, having that peer group that will hold you accountable and help you move forward is a really big deal um, from a lot of perspectives, but you know, also an accountability of uh, making sure that you took good notes in a class so you can bring that home and share it with your guys, um, you know, and, and then push them to learn that same information, but have them hold you accountable to sharing it. Uh, it'll make you a better trainer and a better communicator. And lest you say, well, I'm not a firearms trainer. I don't really need, need to know how to do that. Well, if you have kids, you're responsible for training them and teaching them all kinds of different things. So learning ways to communicate with different and diverse groups of people is a wonderful thing. Um, if you have a job, you likely have to interface with other people and you may have to show them some of the information you know to make them effective as part of your team. That's training. It's just on a micro level or a specific level and learning how to communicate again with varying and diverse groups of people is always a positive thing. 
So, you know, be accountable for that by teaching yourself how to do it and teaching your peer group how to do those things. Bring it back from the class and share it and go on and have a peer group of guys that does the same thing. Um, and as well, within your peer group, competency and a lack of complacency, you know, those things all matter. And so, you know, be, be selective. If you're somebody who's new to firearms and you're listening to this podcast, um, as, a, as a new thing, you know, there's a conversation around choosing very carefully who who you want to learn from and that'll be on a personal interpersonal level with your friends that are gun guys or you know maybe maybe you don't have a lot of friends that are gun guys trying to isolate who that person is who can actually help you who has that baseline of competence and the ability to communicate it with you and will hold you accountable um and just like in the world of physical fitness and physical training I'm not looking for friends at the gym who tell me what I want to hear. I'm looking for friends at the gym who tell me what I need to hear. Um, when I'm doing something, when my form sucks on something, I want somebody to throw something at me and go, hey, dipshit, you're going to hurt yourself because I'm almost 50 years old. Doing something wrong can have some significant consequences. Same thing with the firearm. Um, if I'm doing something on the range that's unsafe, I want someone talking to me. I uh, recently had a, a conversation with some folks at a local uh, private shooting facility I uh, had some guys doing some training, and, and the weapon handling was a little bit loose. Uh, it's a group of guys who don't have necessarily a lot of professional training, but they're out there doing the work and wanting to learn. Uh, they were very receptive to feedback from from one of our group members saying, "Hey, guys, let's 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 you know take a take a beat here, take a moment, and then kind of evaluate. You know, here's a technique. You know, some technique concerns you might look into, some safety concerns you might look into." And, and as folks that were into defensive firearms work, they were appreciative of the feedback and hopefully we'll implement that. Um, you know, but it's just that kind of conversation where, you know, the, the folks within the peer group maybe just didn't know what they didn't know kind of thing. Um, and that's where we tell you to seek, you know, training from competent trainers. You know, the guys that we shoot with in general have it, it dozens, if not hundreds of hours of training. And in some cases, I would say maybe thousands that it, for certain folks, yeah. um, but hundreds of hours of professional firearms training or in, in defensive tactics training. training. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And so, you know, when you're you're choosing your peer group, make sure it's guys that will hold you accountable. When you're choosing an instructor, make sure it's somebody who's competent and can communicate. There's a bunch of them out there. Um, vetting them is, is really not that difficult. You're going to look at resumes and see who these people are, and then you're going to look at reviews. Make sure you read past the fanboys. Because uh, there's always going to be fanboys. Um, even the guys we like have fanboys, um, you know, and, and see what's going on there. But there's there's a lot to learn. And those are the kind of conversations that we love to have in the shop. We sell hardware, but software is what we really dig. It's pretty cool. So um, anything you want to add to peer groups? Yeah, I mean, right now it's especially tempting you know, to do training based on what you're watching on the Internet, be that a YouTube video or an Instagram clip. Uh, and you can learn a decent amount from that, but it, it's not a replacement for getting competently taught you know, in-person instruction. True. Because um, what you're really paying for with the in-person instruction is somebody who, who knows what to look for, observing you while you're doing you know, various drills, because uh, they can call you out on the little things that you don't even know that you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, that they can see at a glance. Yeah, and it's it's a feedback conversation. Your your laptop and your cell phone aren't going to give you feedback on what you're doing wrong. They'll show you an example of what to do. Oftentimes, too, an, another component that's missing from video type training is the why. Yeah. There's a fair amount of high of how, but the why matters a lot. If you understand the theory behind what you're doing, then it allows you to apply it to other things. 
Um, if you just have the technique down and don't understand the application, that can lead to um, a, a lot of confusion and a lot of gnashing of teeth around specific types of techniques that at first blush might seem a little bit odd or a little weird, but then when you understand that it's, you know, it's situationally based, there's a theory behind it, there's a why to it, the why really matters. By the way, if you ask your instructor why and they can't tell you, um, I, I would seriously consider looking for different people to teach you. Um, that goes for your local rabbis and buddies as well. If somebody's showing you how to do something and they can't explain the why, both of you should dive into finding out the why. It's, even if that means maybe DMing or emailing the person who has that technique and say, hey, we watched a video, we're trying to train this out, we ran into this, um, you'd be amazed how receptive some of these guys are because the guys that are out there, the guys that are doing training, and by and large, aren't getting rich. They're doing it because it is something they, they think is important. It's a mission in their lives. Um, you know, so, so you know, utilize that opportunity to contact them and see if you can get feedback there. They may tell you, well, come take a class. Um, and that's not actually a bad answer. Yeah. Because the context may be bigger than an email. Um, the other thing you get typically in a class is the, call it the bottom part of the iceberg and additional techniques that support being able to do the cool thing you see in the little video snippet. Yep. True enough. True enough. So, yeah. So, like I said, guys, you know, just, just running through state of the industry, some, some recent, you know, gump events from travel and then, you know, talking about peer groups because there's a lot of new folks out there and they're looking for rabbis. If you're one looking for a rabbi, come talk to us. Maybe we can help point you in the right direction. Um, if, if you're, you know, if you're that guy who's got that experience, maybe look for that buddy who needs brought along. Um, don't be surprised if it's somebody who you didn't perceive as a gun guy because who is a gun guy has changed a whole lot here recently. A gun guy or a gun gal has changed a whole lot in the last year. So just be aware of that and if you can help each other out, help each other out, it, it goes both directions. So, um, good stuff. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, on that note, um, please follow us along on social media. We're at Cap City Outfitters on Facebook and Instagram, as long as those commie bastards let us stick around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can come visit us in the store. Uh, we are continuing to run COVID-related hours of 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. Um yeah, stop in, see us. We're in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We are directly in front of the Aldi's. We're right next to the always delicious Louis Fusion Grill. Amen. Um, if you're yeah. looking at doing a transfer or purchasing a suppressor, um, check out our website. Uh, we do offer transfer services for firearms. Uh, if you're looking at purchasing a suppressor, we have a link to our, our dealer portal uh, at Silencer Shop. Uh, that you can purchase fire or suppressors through through them as well. So check out our website for those links and that information. It's all there for you. Um, some of that stuff's a little bit daunting. So if you've got questions beyond what's on the website, give us a call at the shop and we'll get you squared away. Yeah. Lastly, we do an email newsletter uh, once a week. You can sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com, or drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye.